This morning, rather, 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's turn to the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read there in just a moment. But uh, we're continuing on in the Hey series, um, um, sermon series, uh, because there are some questions that I have concerning this generation that, unfortunately, Siri can't answer. And I want to cover some certain things that uh, in the next couple of weeks and obviously previous sermons. But uh, this generation we're living in, uh, no doubt if you're old enough to have a credit card, you'll probably purchase something online. You're subscribed to certain websites and you probably have come across the capture uh, uh, um, uh, logging sort of identification. Capture actually stands for the completely automated public turning test to tell, right, computers apart from human beings. Right, when you put in your login details, they want to check whether this is a scam or want to check whether this is a real human being. And you type in the letters that you see that are a bit warped or perhaps choosing the, you know, the, the red lights on a, a certain page that is split up. But all that was created to stop automated system extracting data in order to scam you and spam you. In a recent article that I watched, uh, that I read actually here about um, Scamwatch, an agency here actually reported 444,000 records of scammers and scams that actually been taken part over over the last lockdown period. That scammers are actually taking advantage of uh, the lockdowns, costing Australians 80, uh, 851 million dollars which has left unexpecting, vulnerable, gullible people depressed, filled with fear, anxiety, and some even losing their whole livelihood towards financial scams, romance scams, health scams. But I want to declare to you this morning, there is another scam that the Bible warns us about. The Bible says uh, that do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Other translation calls it designs. New Living Translation, it speaks specifically to evil schemes. The New King James Version calls them devices. And no, I'm not talking about your iPhone. But the Greek meaning of this is translated and gives us a picture of a mental perception and thought and purpose. In other words, the personal verdict that comes out of using the mind, the heart, the soul and feelings. I want to address the scam that the devil has poured on his church and Christians, and that this morning is the spiritual depression. I want to minister into this space in a sermon that I've entitled Scamming the Scammer. So let's read out of our text here in 1 Kings chapter 19. You've got to bear with me, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So if you've got your Bibles, follow along, New King James Version. The Bible says this. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message, messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of, of them by tomorrow by, about this time. And then when, when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. That's very important to note there. 
But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down, uh, sat down under a, bro a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he laid and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there was a, his head, and by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because your journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. Must be some Asian food there. As far as Horeb in the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing there here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. And the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rock into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, and when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous of the, uh, for the Lord of hosts, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenants, tore down the, your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I al alone am left, and they have seek to take my life. And then the Lord said to him, Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel, the king of over Assyria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king of Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shephat, of Abel, Meholah. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I will reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth who has not kissed him. So they departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shephat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elisha passed, through, uh, passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Put a marker there, what Jesus said before. And then he says, And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using oxen equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Amen. All right, let's first get into this and uh, look at the cave. In our text here, Elijah here, he just saw one of the greatest victories in his ministry where he sees the power of God there destroy 450 prophets of Baal. And there he, God came and answered him by fire. We know the story there. But in a moment of time, from 
a spiritual victory, he begins to go from a spiritual victory into retreating into a cave, right? And often this is the case uh, in our Christianity, in our walk, because we can experience mountaintop experiences, uh, but yet also there are valleys that in our walk with Christ, uh, and when you think about valleys geographically, among mountains, they are very depressed places, And we find here the great prophet of God in the valley of the shadow of death in and hiding in a cave. And this is true for our walk with God. If you've been saved for some time, you can go from soaring like an eagle, experiencing the blessing and the power of God on Sunday, only to find yourself feeling like a worthless maggot on Monday. Coming home from work, you know, some things have happened with the boss, the family, and there you are, licking up your wounds, uh, locked up in your bed uh, on the fetal position. So you can go from one place, soaring like an eagle, along the mountains of God, uh, then deep down in the valley. But this yet here is not excluded just to a few. This comes to all of us, right? You, at one place or another, will experience the mountaintop and the valley experiences. But the aim here is that you do not end up in the cave, that you don't end up in this place of spiritual depression where you are excluded from everyone else. You are in this place that is very dark and very depressing. Beyond Blue is actually a mental health and well-being service. That is states on their website that actually here there are three million Australians that are living with anxiety and depression, right? It's actually 25 million people in Australia. That's three out of 25 people are living in this space. And this is no surprise to us when it comes to the sinful humanity because that's just the result of sin, right? People get depressed, they get suicidal, they get in this space that life just doesn't matter, right? They waste their lives in front of the game. They waste their lives pursuing things that do not satisfy. And that's no surprise to us. But what is a surprise to us and what I want to address this morning is when Christians go and find themselves in this space. That spiritual depression is not limited there just to the world, but actually in the house of God. See, good people who love God, who read their Bible, who pray even, and, but yet find themselves in this dark hole of spiritual depression, a place where they battle their sanity and also their salvation. Many times it's in this place there are conflicting voices that, that appear, right? There is voices constant of utter confusion. Uh, which voice do I listen to? You think this may be a surprise to some or select a few, but it's more common than not. When you look in the Bible, there are biblical examples like Jeremiah. They call him the weeping prophet, right? He suffered yet there a a, a constant rejection from the people that he was called to love and reach out to. He dealt with loneliness. He dealt with the fact that he was unable to get married or have children, right? He had to process all those things. Yet here, he lived alone. He ministered alone. He was poor. He was ridiculed. He was rejected by all the people. But yet here, you find a prophet of God, mighty prophet of God there in that place. You know David here. I love reading the Psalms. If you don't read the Psalms, it gives you an open window into the life of David. And David here makes himself vulnerable by 
putting pen to paper, writing these psalms that reveal his heart, reveal him that uh, his anguish and these times that he had to go through of loneliness and fear of the enemy and hear his heart's cry over the sin and battling through things and the guilt that he struggled with it going through those things. You know, you can think about all the things that he's gone through. Right, the result of uh, you know his crime and murder and uh, children that are you know uh, wayward and uh, and doing nasty things and wicked things and the the death of his child and and all the betrayal of his own family. He was going through, he was going through it. A Christian man, a man after God's own heart, going through it. We can speak about Jonah running from God. Right finding himself depressed after the greatest revival that has happened there in, uh, in Nineveh. Right? Thousands of people getting saved, but straight after a mountaintop experience, uh, there he is in the valley under a tree, just like Elijah, wishing that he would die. Job is a whole nother story. But my point being, like the heroes of our faith in the Bible, we also can find ourselves in this hole finding ourselves wrapped up in our blankets, on our beds, don't want to face the world and just don't want to deal with anything or anyone. So let's think about several things that played out in our text. In verse 3 here, Elijah, the Bible says, he left his servant there. Right? Here, Jezebel threatens him and he runs and he, the Bible says in verse 3, he left his servant there. I thought that was interesting. Because that is a dynamic that happens when people get into the hole. They begin to abandon those who are closest to them. They stop coming to church. They, they avoid the very source of, of hope and comfort. You know, when people had servants back then, the actual servant's role in the job was actually to serve the one that actually, their master. To actually bring comfort to their master. Right? That was the whole role of the servant. But yet here, Elijah, he gets threatened and he runs and he leaves his servant. He abandons the things that matter. And this is the start of the decline that begins to happen in our text. And this is what happens with you and I. I say you and I because I have encountered this many times in my salvation. Then what do we do? You stop reading the Bible for a season. We stop answering phone calls and text messages. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's Pastor Colin. Oh, oh, that's so-and-so calling. I'll, I'll just, I'll get back. I'll just, just let the call out. Hmm. Begin to give in to the voice of, you know, the enemy casting doubts. And you know what? Uh, there's no point of continuing. There's no point on fighting, man. Just give in. This is what you'll find yourself listening to, the voices you'll find yourself listening to that are echoing through the cave of depression. It is a dark place. And here Elijah, if for him, it became a very lonely place. See, when people isolate themselves, they are opening themselves up for scammers. It is in that place of restlessness, because often when they isolate themselves, people usually become very weak. When they don't have interaction with other people, they become very tired, unusually tired. 
And it's in weaknesses, it's in that place of weakness that makes you vulnerable to scammers. One man says spiritual depression is caused by losing touch with our spiritual sensibility. How many know we have a spiritual sensibility? Right? Some of us are, you know, we, we, we know that we're, we're sensible. We know how to act when we're, you know, with our in-laws because we need to be sensible. My family in public, you need to be sensible. <laughs> right? That's not only in the culture of our home, but in our spirit. There is a spiritual sensibility ability that we have but when you're depressed and when you're in that place licking your wounds it becomes uh, 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 all over the place and so what was unreasonable now becomes reasonable what 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 before was no 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 I'm not going to do that now becomes reasonable and people begin to justify their behavior and they begin to make their home in that cave but I want to encourage you this morning. I want to, I'm here to tell you that we serve a powerful God that calls us as conquerors and not cave dwellers. He calls us to rise above the things that the devil throws at us. Because God is working in us a far greater glory that, was, that, that he's working within us that we don't understand yet. And as you begin to make it out of this season of time, God is going to put something in you that wasn't there before. A strength of understanding, a depth of gratitude uh, for the, the same uh, for those that are actually going through what you're going through. Listen, you're going to come out of this. God's going to help you. So let's secondly consider then first the cave, second the council. Because the danger here is isolation. Right, we can find ourselves in this space, thinking and allowing our feelings to be justified. Scamming yourself out of the will of God. And so this is a place where people can come. I'll bring the, the definition back here of, of schemes, of scams. This is a personal verdict that comes out of using the mind, heart, soul, and feelings. Right? We know the Bible speaks about in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. My question this morning is, which counsel are you receiving? Who are you listening to? Right? Because, you know, the truth is this despair can, can hit any of us at any time. Right? You can be on cloud nine, man. You can be, you know, having and shouting the victory on Sunday and on, by Monday you're, you're in the valley. Right? It's a mystery. Right? And we can, you know, wail about uh, past mistakes. We can get, uh, you know, and think and, and allow our spirit to be condemned uh, towards the future things and the past things and, you know, the state of the world and all these things and going on. This can all affect us. But we can't pass the fact that this spiritual depression and the reason why I put spiritual and the, un the understanding of spiritual depression because that's what it is. It is a spiritual battle. It is demonic. But here the devil has his little minions that we cannot ignore. And the fact that depression is a symptom of demonic activity at work in your life. And I'm going to have to explain this. <laughs> Look, in our text, it speaks about Jezebel. I'm not going to describe her and, and, and talk about her, but many of us know she's not just a person, but she's a spirit. 
that is mentioned uh, not in our text, but also in Revelations. But what I want to point out here is that there are spiritual forces that are, uh, that are at work with an agenda. Isaiah 61 speaks into the spirit of heaviness, right? An oppressive spirit, a depressing spirit. So you know the old saying, uh, the enemy exposes, the, the, the devil exposes, the devil defeated, right? And so let's consider three things that the goals here of this spirit is aim. Number one is aim is to torment you and torture you. And he does this with voices. You know, I'm not calling out uh, schizophrenia. Maybe God might be pinpointing some things. But many times audible voices in your head telling you lies. This is how the devil operates. You've got to think here, Elijah, he says, I'm the only one left. He's brought into the lie. Right? He also, that, that wasn't true. The Bible says that there were, God reserved 7,000 that did not bow their knee to Baal. He said also, they, seek, they all seek my life. No, not true. It was only Jezebel that threatened him. And so the point being here is that spiritual depression is sent to confuse you. And it makes you unreasonable, right? To think things that are not true. And often people, when they're alone, isolated, they begin to think like this. They're talking about me. <coughs> they don't like me. They don't love me. Uh, no one calls me. It's funny that. It's because you isolate yourself, but you expect people to call you. You don't call them. And so when they call you, you don't answer their phone. It's you, these ones. Right? That's unreasonable. But somehow in the mind and the feelings, you've come to believe that the church doesn't care for you. The most closest people that you have abandoned don't care for you. And this is how depression works. It is a friend of self-pity. And the problem with self-pity is the first word. Self. And this is how Elijah saw it. I'm the only one left. Right? Uh, you know, everyone else has deserted you. I'm the only one left. Not true. But he speaks into our humanity because we become the center of attention when we are suffering through things. Amen. See, when I'm sick, I've got I to admit, when I'm sick, I hardly ever get sick. But when I do get sick, I'm like a baby, man. I'm like a little do everything for me. My feet hurt. Mm. I'm telling you, man, like, you know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty resilient. I'm pretty, I don't ever, really ever get sick. But when I do, I, I'm like the center of attention now. I can't do nothing. Shouldn't be like that. But anyway, highlighting the point. Because we listen to voices. Right? Because this is the area I want to warn you about. Because the devil can put us in a box. And it can begin to torment us, right? It can begin to uh, allow us just to begin to wallow in, in, our, in our sorrow. That's, that's, that's torment. That's torture. And that's what the devil was aimed to do. Secondly, his aim is to keep you from Christ and the church. 
both in verse 9 and verse 13, twice, God comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this cave? Right? In other words, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be isolated in this place. You should be around there with everyone else. You shouldn't be just there licking your wounds, man. See, if this is you this morning, don't be surprised that you start believing the lies of the devil. You've got to remember here that it's spirit, this spirit, its aim is to actually keep you from church. And if he succeeds in doing that, right, he disconnects you from the body of Christ. Oh, but I have to go to church to be a Christian. True. I don't need to go home to be married. <laughs> right? But if he can keep you from church, if he can keep you away, then he's disconnected you. And then you begin to reason in your mind, it's okay, I can come to church when I want, I've still got a relationship. Absolutely, you do. I don't have, like I said, I don't have to go home to be married, but I've you know, still got a relationship. But listen, in both cases, it's got to be a bad relationship. See, the devil does this by enticing you. Because it's much easier to be alone. It's much easier to not deal with problems. Right? It's much easier just to you know, fade away into the background and not have to deal with people. Right? Because that's what happens, man. At work, you can experience this at school. You can experience this in life. You can experience this in your family. Wherever there is people, there are problems. And you're going to have to face that. Right? Heaven's going to be filled with people. You have to learn to love people now. Otherwise, you're not going to like heaven very much. See, but the devil here, he wants to enslave people. And he does this by confusing them. Isolates them. Causes them to get restless. Right? And this is all a deception. Because this is the king of it. Here Elijah in verse 4, he says, he asks God to kill him. <laughs> right? Suicidal thoughts is something that is very real in this generation. That here in this time, it is demonic to its core. Because people come to the conclusion that here is, a, the world is better without me. See, Elijah here, he knew it was wrong. That's why he asked God to do it. God, just kill me. Just get, get it over and done with. Ultimately, thirdly here, the aim of this spirit is to keep you from being effective in the kingdom of God. See, Elijah at this point, he's in the cave, right, making no more impact. Right? He took the, and heeded the advice or the threats of Jezebel, and he retreated into this cave, and now, by himself, is no longer effective in the kingdom. Maybe this is you this morning. You love God, you read your Bible, but yet you're in the cave. You're isolated, you're away. You've no relationships with people. No longer witnessing like you used to. Just merely existing. This is you, I want to encourage you this morning. Right? You can be like Elijah and we can all be in this place. And thank God that God doesn't leave us in this space. That here Jesus calls out, to you and I, just as God called out to Elijah, what are you doing here? 
Not once, but he called out twice in our text. In that chapter, he calls out twice, what are you doing here? And I often think he, he, God had to say things to us. He had to repeat himself because sometimes we can be real stubborn. Right? One brother says it, one sister says it, and we're like, oh. And not, but God knows. He's, he's still, he's contending because he cares and loves us. He doesn't want to leave us in that place. And when God here came to Elijah and he says, what are you doing here? This is what Elijah's response was. Elijah actually listened. He listened to the truth. And he came out of the cave renewing his vision and purpose. My question this morning is, what do you hear say, uh, and what do you do when Jesus says, what are you doing here? What are you doing isolating yourself? What are you doing away from the people that actually care about you the most? What are you doing? See, God wasn't offended by Elijah's, you know, confusion. Right? He didn't even address it. Right? He didn't even address it. He just went straight to the solution. <laughs> Elijah, this is what you need to do. Right? He doesn't say, no, nah, I've got 7,000. I've still got 7,000 that didn't worship. And no, it, it's, it's not everyone. It's just Jezebel. He just didn't go. He just went straight to the solution. He didn't, he didn't focus on the symptoms. He focused, focused on the solution. And think here in our text. That uh, here the Bible says that uh, God wasn't in the, the thunder, He wasn't in the wind, He wasn't in the fire. Right? But the Bible says that it wasn't all those things that were all out there. It was this still, small voice. You've got to think about this. Here it is the tenderness of God that restored Elijah back to operating capacity. The Bible says Elijah hears and he responds. And interesting here, God gives him simple instructions. Go anoint three people. Go anoint those two kings and then your successor. So let's close here this morning with a comfort. Because something changed in the valley of experience for Elijah. Right? He has now discovered a patience and a compassion about his ministry. See, the role of prophet is always actually in front of people. He's in the multitudes. He's, he's a mouthpiece for God. He's, he's there. He's not really dealing. He's not, he's, he's, he's not a, a pastor dealing with sheep. Right? And you think about here in that verse where we know when uh, some, some disciples uh, uh, came to Jesus and said, you know what, uh, let me first go bury my father. Let me first go take care of my house. Let me first go take care of my land. Let me first... What did Jesus say? So those who turn back, put their hand to the plow, turn back, is not fit for the kingdom. And that be straight from Jesus, right? And sometimes we can get like that. And I'll be honest, sometimes I'm, you know, if you don't want to serve God, all right, man, I'm just going to move somewhere else. But here Elijah, in his experience here, Elisha says, hey, let, let me first go and kiss my mom and dad goodbye. Right, Elisha here in his, in, in his now place that he's gone through the cave, he's in the valley. But God, God's taught him something in the valley. That now he has a patience and a compassion to, to, to extend. Elisha, what have I got to do to you, man? Just go, you go. Go kiss your mom and dad goodbye. And then he came back and served him as his servant. You know, great, some, some great advice here. So God says to simply Elijah... 
I'm going to, I'm just three things. I'm asking you three things. Just start with some small things. And if anyone is in this place here this morning and are going through this spiritual depression, the truth is you're just going to have to start small. But also here, that God here reveals that you getting over this and, and moving into a place of effectiveness again involves people. See, what's going to bring you comfort is actually people. It's actually fellowship, uh, you know, that brings you out of depression, that brings you out of this place uh, where you, you know, you, if you feel you don't have any uh, impact, you feel like you're not having any relationship, the, the fact and the cure for that is fellowship. You have to be real with your brethren. You know, if someone comes to you and says, hey, you're changing, then be open enough to say, hey, well, what, what area? What, what do you mean? Be open for that feedback. Because this is what it is involved. It's involved relationship. You know, we, we had our hoodies done. Iron sharpened iron. Do we believe that? Do we live by that? Because this is what actually brings comfort into our lives. It evolves people. Two takeaways here, which I've already covered, to help you scam the scammer. Is that one here is that you have to start small. You know, Elijah, had to, he reached out to two, he anointed, the Bible says he anointed two kings. These are people of influence. Right? He reached out to people that be, eventually became massive influences in the kingdom of God. This is a picture of discipleship. This is a picture of evangelism. Right? God's connecting you with other people who have influence that you may not have. And if you just start small, listen, God can make you and restore your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. But just start small. But it involves people. Secondly, is to build fellowship. Right? Again, here's the picture of discipleship. We always said, you know, someone you're learning from, someone you're, you know, you're, you're helping out, and you know, it's a brotherhood, sisterhood going on, but there's someone you're teaching. Right? So the third person in our text here that, that God says to go and anoint is Elijah, Elisha. His servant, right, who would eventually become his successor. And this involves deep fellowship. It involves a knitting of the heart that comes when we're serving God in, the, in his kingdom. See, where your worldly friends will criticize and, and critique and, and, uh, and, and speak against you and speak behind your back, right? That's your worldly friends, but your internal friends, they accept you how you are. Yes, with all your flaws, just as God accepts us. See, we love and embrace, and that's what we're called to do. Amen. If you're in a dark place this morning, I want to encourage you. God can lift you out of this place. You don't have to fall into the scams and the schemes of the devil. Amen. Let's all bow our heads this morning.